Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for the seventh episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan. In this first season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, those of you who have been on the journey so far will know that we have been taking a closer look at the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creative run on the title. Uh, last time out, we talked about uh, Stan Lee and all the kind of controversies and mythos uh, surrounding his co-creation of the character of Spider-Man. We had uh, a, gr- a, a great uh, guest as well to, to talk us through it. Um, but uh, today, it's, it's just Dan and I again, uh, and we're going to be talking about one of Spider-Man's greatest adversaries, maybe? We'll, 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 this probably will be the center of our discussion. Uh, he's now also his brother-in-law, surprisingly, and that is J. Jonah Jameson. Awesome. I can't wait to get into this. J. Jonah Jameson is very near and dear to me, but uh, I have to say, like last time, uh, we are not going to be talking about any particular issues in the Lee Dicko run. So if you want to listen along, don't worry about reading anything. But if you do want to read along with us, of course, we're reading the Lee and Dicko run, and you can find that run just about anywhere, print, digital, or as part of Marvel's Unlimited service. So go check it out. Uh, you can find out more about what we're talking about. So now sit tight, grab some wheat cakes, and prepare yourself for Papa Jonah. Another immortal character in the Spider-Man mythos is J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, I loved him. Where does J. Jonah come from? You know who J. Jonah Jameson was? Who is it? He was me. Really? He was irascible. He was bad-tempered. He was dumb. He thought he was better than he was. He was the version that so many people had of me anyway. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I always wanted to play him in the movie. I was so sorry that by the time the movie was made, I'm too old to play the role. <laughs> right. Well, I don't really think I'm too old, but obviously they do. <laughs> right. Anyhow, um, and the guy who's playing it in the movie is Phenomenal. wonderful. He did it better than I could have done. And that's very high praise. That's for saying me. a lot for you, yes. Anyway, um, 
I wanted Peter to have a freelance job, not a staff job mm -hmm. anywhere, not a steady job, because I wanted him free to do his spideying. Right. So I figured a freelance newspaper photographer. Right. And then it occurred to me, I'm going to make the guy he works for. Um, in Superman, there was Perry White or Perry somebody White. who was probably a nice enough guy. Uh -huh. I didn't want this guy to be a nice guy. Right. I wanted him to hate Spider-Man, because uh -huh. I liked the irony of the fact that he has Spider-Man working for him, right. and he hates Spider-Man, yet he always wants to get pictures of Spider-Man because he sells papers. sells papers. Also, in those days, that was when there were hippies and mm -hmm. so forth, I wanted him to hate teenagers because right. to J Jameson, every teenager was a long-haired, commie, prevert hippie, <laughs> right, you know? Right, right. So I got a lot of fun out of that. He hated Peter Parker. He hated Spider-Man. Peter had to work for him. Jameson wasn't a villain. He right. wasn't bad. He was just a bigot. Right. He was ill-tempered. He right. was... We all know guys like him. Right. And as counterpoint to Jameson, I wanted to get... I, I got a guy, Robbie Robertson, Robinson. who was a black editor, mm -hmm. and I wanted him to be the, um, the voice of reason mm -hmm. on the newspaper. He really carried the paper. Right. He pacified Jameson. And I also wanted the reader to suspect that Robbie suspected that Peter was Spider-Man. Whereas Jameson was too anything. clouded with rage to ever make that connection right. himself. Again, and, and you'd understand this as well as anybody, by having a family in a strip, mm -hmm. people you know, you know their personality, you know their character, you know, then you know how they would talk, you right. know what they would do, and to use that old cliche, which isn't true, the stories almost write themselves. Exactly. All righty, Dan. J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, I've been looking forward to this episode ever since we first started talking about the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Just before we get into, you know, the character itself, uh, it's it's kind of worth just noting a little little bit of history here. You know, as 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 you could read in uh, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, plug, plug, um, Stan Lee... Um, Definitely wanted a newspaper in the Marvel Universe and, in fact, was a little hesitant. As much as he wanted, was a little hesitant because over in uh, the Distinguished Competition, you had Superman and the Daily Globe and the, the editor of that paper was Perry White, who was kind of this very professional, uh, white-collar, uh, you know, dignified journalist. So... Uh, to kind of create a distinction from uh, DC, Stan decided that the editor of his newspaper, The Daily Bugle, would be someone completely opposite of who Perry White is, uh, <laughs> I, I would say. Um, you know, the, the irascible J. Jonah Jameson. Um, actually, also another little interesting note, Daily Bugle first appeared uh, by name in Fantastic Four number two. Um, but, uh, that was, and that predates, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one, which is J. Jonah Jameson's first appearance by at least a year. It might even be two years. Obviously, once, it, once Jonah came, then, then kind of the bugle itself took shape. It was more of just kind of this innocuous figurehead, so to speak, in the background in the Marvel universe. But Stan has talked about in a number of interviews that he, he, he sees himself in Jonah. I mean, obviously, he kind of, in his, 
in his in his wonderful ways that we talked about last time, last episode, Dan. You know, he kind of like brushes aside. Well, he's not. I'm not as crazy as he is, but uh, <laughs> uh, but he's definitely always kind of saw himself from a personality standpoint. And wasn't it? Didn't you even confirm with John Semper Jr. that um, he was Stanley was in the running to voice the character on the uh, '90s animated series? Yeah, he really wanted to do it. And I think even when the Sam Raimi movies were coming out, there was significant talk about Stan doing Jonah in that movie. And obviously they made the right choice. Uh, But that would have been a very interesting vision. Um, I'm not sure if Stan Lee's acting chops were up to it or really his physical chops to kind of fill in that role, uh, I guess, a decade ago. Yeah, and in terms of the animated series, it ended up with what Ed Asner, right? I mean, it's not like it's not like it went to some like nobody. <laughs> yeah, and Stan would eventually appear in the series as himself, so I guess you kind of get to win in both ways. There you go. How have you? I mean, what are some other things to kind of know about Jonah uh, before we dive into the character in the comics itself? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a conversation to be had, and maybe we can get into this a little bit later, about J. Jonah Jameson operating as Stanley's criticism of then the modern media, um, which I think strangely remains true to this day. Um, one of my favorite things is uh, in Amazing Spider-Man number one, Stanley writes, uh, quote, Unfortunately, if something is shouted loud enough, there are always those who will believe it. And uh, I think it's a pretty apt criticism of a number of uh, forces in our society, including the media these days. Yeah, I mean, and and Stan would probably have a reason to even go in that direction. I mean, considering how like the, you know, the the, the Frederick, Dr. Frederick Wortham uh, kind of assault on, on the, on the, promiscuity of comics or whatever you want to call it kind of derailed the industry there almost killed the industry in the 50s and and early 60s um you know and obviously because it was a someone with a doctor in front of their name it seemed like the the media kind of picked up on that and ran with it and, and treated the comics as kind of this um cult uh you know thing that you know strange people were into <laughs> you know it took, it, it took a while for 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 comics to be accepted as kind of a mainstream form of entertainment by the media um i mean and to this day that that quote kind of defines how jonah is portrayed in the comics they always seem to move him into a realm where his voice is used to kind of whether it's directly assaulting spider-man but also kind of like assert his very unique opinion so like as reflected by today's society so we had jonah on the fact channel which i think was clearly a stand-in for something like fox news and now we've got him running his own blog empire which is kind of like a stand-in for like a breitbart or like a drudge report uh if you will so you know jonah has kind of always operated in that kind of like sharp critique of media role yeah i mean i think the other thing too that in interviews Stan has kind of pointed out with Jonah is he's also always kind of seen him as like the, um, the square adult character, you know, the one who wants to rain on all the, the kids parades. I mean, he's kind of an easy, he's an easy regular character to vilify without having superpowers, which will, I think also feed into another conversation. We're going to have in a few minutes about, um, 
Jameson and his status uh, vis-a-vis Spider-Man. But um, yeah, I mean, he, 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 you know, there's one interview that's, that's in my book that, you know, Stan kind of talks about how like, you know, Jonah hates teenagers. He hates hippies. He hate, you know, what I mean, like he, it's, it's like he, he definitely kind of stands as being very anti counterculture in all its ways, uh, and anti youth. And, you know, that kind of, you know, it's like Mad Magazine lampooning somebody, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Except for when it comes to his son, who's kind of like a paragon of good virtue. Uh, right. Even when he turns into a wolf monster. Um, right. But we've never really gotten much of the life of John Jameson. I'd be curious to see, like, a story about what it was like to be raised by someone like J. Jonah Jameson, who's, like, fiercely proud of you, but also kind of an enormous stick in the mud. Yeah. Uh, perhaps the biggest mystery to J. Jonah Jameson is uh, what what publication was he actually in charge of when Spider-Man first started getting published? <laughs> Yeah, right, because we've got him – I mean it changes by the panel. He's either the like head of Now Magazine or the Daily Bugle. And I think there's like some books that have both and some that alternate one or the other. And eventually Now Magazine goes by the wayside. Um, I mean I, I think it's been referenced here and there every once in a while throughout the history of Spider-Man. I guess less so these days and – and there's some idea that Now Magazine is like this like imprint of the Bugle that does things like Peter Parker's photo book um, right. that came out, uh, I guess, like, when was that, in the eight, late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, yeah. Um, what is your take on that? I don't know. I think it's probably just early Marvel confusion, like Peter Palmer style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, but yeah, Now Magazine... The mystery continues. Yes, definitely. Um, but let's kind of get into the, the the meat of our conversation here, Dan. Um, you know, it's funny when we did our our, our bad guys. I, I almost slipped into my accent there. Uh, episode a few weeks ago, um, someone had written in, and they were like, "Well, where's Jonah on that list?" And, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, has there been a bigger thorn in Spider-Man's side out of anyone? And um, I'm here to pose the argument, though, you know, does that – but does that actually make him a villain? You know, one of the th- one of the arguments I've always seen with, with Jameson, is he a villain or is he an antagonist? And is there a difference and I'm going to say that there is a difference, and I'm going to say that he's on the side of antagonists. But I want to just kind of float it to you first, and then I can get it. I can talk more specifically why I'm saying that. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, I guess it depends on how you define both, because I think you can be both a villain and an antagonist at the same time. Jonah is responsible for. I mean. He might not be the guy that's physically punching Spider-Man, although I, I'm, I'm certain that that's probably happened a number of times in the right. book. Yes. Um, you know, but if it wasn't for him, I mean, a lot of these characters are motivated because Jonah has sent them after Spider-Man particularly. Um, like, I don't think the Scorpion had much of a beef with Spider-Man initially. It was Jonah who was – he just provided the money and means – to send this guy after him. Yeah. You know? 
So I don't know. I mean, it's a really fine line if you if you want to distinguish the two. Um, and I don't think anybody has really like. I mean, it's funny because Jonah is equally supportive of Spider Man, just not aware of it uh, <laughs> because he's yes. financially supporting him, uh, unbeknownst to uh, unbeknownst to himself. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I would ultimately land with you that he's more of an antagonist than a villain, per se. But um, I think if Jonah had the means himself to do, you know, take it out on Spider-Man, he would. Uh, he's just not physically strong. And when and when he does actually, like, let's say, let's talk about in this run, the Spider Slayer arc, it's Jonah's face and his operation that controls the Slayers that goes after Spider-Man. And I think. That's where you cross the line. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely get what you're saying. And, and, you know, later in the arc, too, there's definitely a shift when when Steve Ditko was more in charge with storytelling uh, responsibilities. And we can get to that in a second. So, so put a pin in that. But um, I guess for me, you know, the reason why I'm kind of making these nuanced distinctions is, you know, with a, with a villain, especially in like a superhero comic book context, I see it, you know, I, I, I see a villain as being someone who, um, has very large motives beyond just conquering the hero. You know what I mean? Like all, all of the villains in this Lee Deco run, you know, they have confrontations with, um, Spider-Man, but it's you know these confrontations come because he's interfering in larger plans you know whether it's kind of a world domination or just steal all the stuff or whatever you know what i mean it's it's you know it's not until years later where villains like venom and stuff kind of come to be just to beat up spider-man so in terms of what makes then jonah more of an antagonist i mean i see an antagonist as kind of uh you know, an, an omnipresent character that's just constantly picking at a scab <laughs> that is Spider-Man, you know, like, like it's not because he rarely, you know, he doesn't, I guess you could argue he does get the best of Spider-Man, but he doesn't, he, he never physically gets the best of Spider-Man. And then in the same vein, Jonah is designed to never get his comeuppance. He never physically gets the best of Spider-Man because He's never no, Spider-Man's never physically going to get the best of him outside of maybe webbing his mouth shut here and there, um, or flicking his tie, right? And and you know he just gets embarrassed and then he's out and doing a shtick again. Um, and because I feel I feel like in in like superhero comic books are set up like the villain has to get their comeuppance. That's just how the story arc goes. I mean, do you do you agree with that at all, or am I really reaching here? Yeah, no, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, I, I'm thinking that, like, perhaps the ex- – I, I think it's a little different for Jonah because his expectations are different. Like, I don't think his goal is ever – you know, if, if I were to say he's a villain, I think I don't think his goal as a villain is to ever, like, really be physically um, engaged with Spider-Man more than it is to kind of unmask him and reveal him for the crook that he is. So I think, like, as a villain, success for Jonah would be pulling Spider-Man's mask off. And he's certainly gotten close a number of times. Um, But you're right, he's never really landed a substantial blow 
other than writing some editorials that would like make Spider-Man the villain of New York. Um, so yeah, I guess it is a more like omnipresent force in Spider-Man's life than like a real direct immediate threat to him. Um, except for, you know, I keep returning to that spider slayer story right? uh, where Jonah, you know, his goal is to restrain Spider-Man and then ultimately reveal his face before the camera. Um, yeah, well, uh, let's, I mean, let's talk about that and let's also talk about the scorpion story because I mean, those are the ones that I think are worth coming back to in this argument. But, um, if I could just bring up the fact that um, it is kind of interesting that um, for the most part, the Steve Ditko apparently took over sole storytelling and plotting um, responsibilities around issue 10. And that's the same issue where there's this huge soliloquy from uh jameson where he's more or less kind of like i mean outing himself as one of the you know the you know dicko and rand inspired moochers you know it's like why do i hate spider-man because i know i'm never i will never be as good as him you know what i'm talking about that whole yeah sure i mean it's a pretty epic jonah speech and it's and he's just like you know self-flagellating here like about how he just can't live up to being a hero so he's going to tear the hero down and it's kind of like in the in the ashes of that foundation that Jameson kind of I feel like becomes a more warped deranged character in 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 the comics until Dicko eventually leaves the book. And then he kind of goes back to being more of just a pain in the neck. But like, it's definitely during that run during the, the latter half where he does become more sinister. So maybe part of how I'm using my, you know, making this argument is more in hindsight now, because I mean, like even like the whole Scorpion story, that's something that, you know, just to refresh an amazing Spider-Man number 20, you know, Jameson essentially, um, invests and funds the you know this Matt Gargan who we knew was like he was was he an ex-con or I mean he, he there was he had a questionable past right I mean that's kind of established in the comic I could have sworn he was just like a really good detective <laughs> I thought that you know there was talk that was it was it that the experiment made him go crazy or was he kind of crazy to begin with I mean I, I'm he, pretty sure it was the experiment that made him crazy okay well either way you know has this guy go into this like augmentation to 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 kill Spider-Man. I mean that that's the goal. You know, that's that to me that I mean that is the most sinister thing even more so than the uh, Spider-Slayers because I always kind of saw the Spider-Slayers as Alistair, is it Alistair or Spencer? I always confuse the Smythes. It's Spencer initially. Okay, it's it you know, I always kind of saw that as Spencer Smythe being like, "Hey, I got some I got some cool tech here that could help you take care of spider-man and jameson's like oh i'm listening you know <laughs> like <laughs> whereas like scorpion it's like no no i i i you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make you a super guy and you're gonna kill spider-man and it's like whoa <laughs> like um you would get that again with the fly in a perhaps even more deranged way because yes the fly was like expressively a bad guy right but i mean you know, like the Scorpion thing was even something that like that would get revisited years later by Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. as kind of like 
Jameson's rock bottom and lowest point and, you know, the, the something that he needed to redeem himself from. Of course, only after he got exposed by the Hobgoblin, but that's neither here nor there. It's just an, I don't know, like, it's, it's, it just seems so patently absurd in retrospect to where the character kind of went after that, that, you know, I just almost wonder if this was like Dicko kind of running ideologically rampant with the character and, and framing him as like this like bottom dwelling moocher who, you know, because he can't, you know, based on that one monologue, you know, because he can't be the hero, he just has to destroy it. And I think kind of once he left, I mean, the human fly story aside, I feel like there was kind of a centering of the character that followed like during the remedial years and then even further during like the, um, the seventies. Well, that's really interesting that you say that because now it's got started me thinking about how we as the audience are expected to respond to Jameson. Um, and I don't think we're supposed to respond to him with like hatred or I guess revulsion. Um, like even at his worst you kind of always love the guy to a certain extent or want to see him be, I don't know if the word is successful, uh, but like there's a certain charm in disliking J. Jonah Jameson. Um, I think about the brand new day arc where he loses the bugle and the new guy while having his own problems <laughs> is kind of better at his job but at the same time, you like the whole arc asked you to root for Jonah to like fight his way back into the bugle, despite us all knowing that he would do horrible things with it towards our protagonist. Right. Um, and so it kind of asks you to have like a complicated relationship with this character. If he is a villain or antagonist or whatever, it's you know, um, it's one that you're meant to like to a certain extent. Yeah, no, I, I, but, you know, again, you're, you're kind of talking about Jonah post Lee Dicko. And I, I wonder, is this Jameson, especially kind of like from like issue 10 on until issue 38, is, are you actually really rooting for this character? He's really just kind of despicable. Like he's, he's, he's a lose, he's, he's, he's a loser in a lot of ways. Like the fact that, so many of the stories kind of center around the fact that he thinks that Mysterio is Spider-Man or Electro is Spider-Man and that, you know, like, and he's just like ridiculously wrong in every way. And yet here he is, this powerful person. And it's kind of like, I, I don't know. I feel like this is Dicko kind of pushing his ideological agenda on the, on a, on a character here to kind of represent you know, a certain kind of subspecies of humans. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. Um, and, I, and I think the character is kind of always oscillated between the two. Like, I think now we're kind of back in that realm for the character. Um, and, you know, and it's probably because he's been kind of pushed to represent kind of like a right-wing media fanaticism right. um, at the current time. Um, perhaps similarly to... Um, you know, Dicko's interpretation of the character. Right. Um, which is really interesting, you know, like thinking about, you know, Dicko's own beliefs um, as kind of a bit of a right-wing fanatic himself, perhaps not on the scale that we're seeing today. Um, but 
I think the characters kind of always oscillated between these two realms. Um, and that might really come down to where the writer um, draws her inspiration from, whether it's the Stan Lee interpretation or the Dicko interpretation of the character. Right. I've never thought about it that way before, but I think you make a really compelling case. I do think it's interesting, like also like kind of in like immediately following Dicko's departure, or I shouldn't say immediately, but soon after his departure, like the character of uh, Joe Robbie Robertson's introduced. And that's like definitely meant to be a counterweight to Jameson, Uh, a very important counterweight, I would say, um, to kind of balance, balance things out. Of course, if we're, you know, we're kind of getting away from the villain or, or antagonist argument, but I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe the character is more of a villain in this arc. The more I think about it, maybe I'm arguing myself out of my argument. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think you are. Uh, uh, post 10 issue 10 is a, is a a substantial part of this run. Yes. You know, the other thing I kind of wanted to talk about too, in, in relation to Jameson and what is Jameson to Spider-Man? I mean, you know, we, you, you, you talked about earlier about the fact that Spider-Man secretly financially benefits from Jameson, but like, this is also one of those things like that is so heightened and absurd that like it just kind of I don't even know what to make of it because like think about the fact that you know in one breath the fact that Peter Parker takes photos for the Daily Bugle of Spider-Man sells these photos so that Spider-Man can then be you know vilified by Jameson it's it's the most Peter Parker thing in the world and yet it's also the most like patently unbelievable thing in the world because it's like how is this high school teenager who has shown no interest in photography whatsoever using like a not you know a a, a hobbyist camera but to take action photos of himself fighting bad guys by like webbing a camera to the top of like a, a wall or something like it's it, it it really does you know i know suspension of disbelief but like this is insane, right? <laughs> I think the thing about that is just surprises me how long all the writers of Spider-Man stuck to that occupation for Peter. Yeah. Um, like it eventually became the kind of thing where it's like he's doing it and feels bad about it and it's getting in the way of his studies and yada yada yada. But like it was one of those things that like I mean obviously Stanley and Steve Dicko did not intend for you know, Howard had no idea, could not fathom how long this character would be around, and so kind of did it as like a way to kind of get Spider-Man involved in, you know, the actions of the day in New York City and come up with a realistic way for him to find out information and get to that location without accidentally stumbling on something. But like it's a kind of plot point and, and character th- uh, beat that like is just ridiculous on the face of it. And especially considering that it went on for as long as it did. And I think, I think to get to your point about, like, how we're supposed to feel about Jameson, like, I think if we didn't hate Jameson or didn't, like, kind of, like, want Peter to get a win on him in, like, this would seem even crazier. Because here we have Peter, uh, who's supposed to be kind of this, like, you know, uh, character of, uh, of virtue, and his main occupation is being a thief. 
uh, yeah. really. And we talked about this before, but it, it is a patently absurd thing to like make your superhero be doing. So much so that like in the the Sandman fight, he like throws grains of sand into the air and takes pictures of it to recreate the fight. I mean, so not only is he being a thief and how he's making his money essentially, but like he's he's lying about his photos. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about all the various different, I guess, like interpretations of Jonah and and I guess different eras of J. Jonah Jameson. I know we're going to probably cover a lot of these as we get to different seasons of this show, but as we're talking about Jonah here, and you're getting me thinking about how he's been portrayed in the history of Amazing Spider-Man, I'm curious if like there are other versions of the character that you think kind of update this character in a way that you find it interesting. Because like Amazing, he's had some flexibility. I mean, he's been the mayor, yada, yada, yada. But like he he feels very rigid and I guess kind of purposefully so in a way that like is not true of a lot of other characters and how they're allowed to develop and change. Like Jameson always has to kind of stick with being this blowhard no matter how many times he's proven wrong. Um, like do you think that that's healthy for the character um, or is he kind of just become a caricature after all this time? Yeah, I mean that, that is interesting because I mean there there are moments where like and interestingly enough a lot of these moments kind of occur outside the pages of Spider-Man where they kind of allow Jameson to be a real character sometimes like I think of like Frank Miller's run on Daredevil when like yeah. when uh Ben Yurick is kind of going after the um you know, the corruption story with um, Anton Cherry and um, Kingpin. And then there's this really great story from Uncanny X-Men in the 90s. Um, I forget who wrote it, but I know Joe Mads is the art. It's during the Joe Mads art run on it. You know, there's this guy, this this villain that that's trying to out people as mutants and has like all this information on a, on a CD-ROM, of course, just to, just to date, date it a bit. Uh, this is the nineties. Uh, <laughs> and, and Jameson is like, what you think just because I don't like Spider-Man, I'm going to like do an inherently immoral thing for you. No, I'm not doing that. I'm a newsman. That's not, that's, you know, I go after Spider-Man because I think that's the, you know, I'm I'm trying to expose something from a from a news standpoint, not because I have a grudge. And you're kind of like, and it's such a 180 of what the who the character is. You know what I mean? Like it's like, wait, I thought that's all you do is have a grudge. So like, it's it is funny how like other creators have kind of like short term poached the character to give him some depth, but like like a slinky, it just always recoils back to who this this character we know from amazing Spider-Man is like, like it is odd that of all the characters in comics, this one is just allowed no growth. And it just makes the other instances where they, where he is different so much more notable and odd. And depending on your reading of the comic, I mean, they could be good comics, but you might be thinking to yourself, 
but this is just not who this character is. It's absurd. So I don't know. I mean, the, do those count? I mean, you know, do the, the, do they make him more of a character because it's happened? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> right. You you read those things and you think like maybe this guy's brain just short circuits anytime Spider Man like comes into the picture. But then in the in the you know the Spider Man books, like his companies fall apart with him at the head of them because of his fanaticism regarding Spider-Man, um, you know, like, and, and I guess Robbie Robertson is like the kind of like best example of, of, of the, you know, alternative to that, where it's like Robbie is the kind of moderating force on this to the point that now, like, I mean, even in an issue of Spectacular Spider-Man this week, you know, we have Jonah being kind of sent out of the bugle because of his insane, deranged fanaticism with Spider-Man, but then like the next week you could have an issue of Daredevil where he's this kind of like actual respectable newsman. And even in sometimes in Amazing Spider-Man, like again, I go back to that uh, brand new day era where like he seems like a relatively normal guy that's on the recovery and then he's, you know, he's never allowed to get there. He just instantly like rubber bands back to, uh, you know, being just a kind of deranged psychopath with, uh, <laughs> with like, uh, you know, access to media. And, 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 it, and there's a harsh comparison kind of like at the same time you're reading Ultimate Spider-Man where this character is allowed to grow and develop and, and see the error of his ways to the point that he eventually is bankrolling Spider-Man intentionally um, because he sees the good in what he does. Um, like, it's... It's an interesting thing to see, like, another version of him where he's a fully fleshed-out 3D guy, and then this other version where it flirts with that, but then ultimately regresses him back to the same point. Did you enjoy that ultimate Spider-Man version of J. Jonah Jameson? Is that, like, would you like to see the character go to that place in Amazing Spider-Man, or do you think he operates best as this kind of cartoon? I, I don't know if I need to see that in the mainstream universe but the same token it would be nice to kind of like i mean i guess for me the the what what bendis did in ultimate was almost too hard of a turn um for the character i mean i I, i'd still like to see i guess for me i'd like to see more of the the serious newsman come out from time to time i feel like we still get too little of that because like you know Without those tidbits, you kind of like fall back onto what I think might have been Ditko's intention for the character was that, you know, the the character was a joke and was worthless, but kind of, you know, fell upwards um, in charge of this like media empire. Um, whereas, you know, even a story like, um, and it's kind of meant to be silly, but it at least shows that the instincts are there, like the, I cover the waterfront, um, from, from spectacular. I mean, like those to me, I mean, those are the, the bits that I'd like to get more of in like the mainstream Spider-Man universe about Jonah, not necessarily kind of the hard turn that we got in ultimate. Yeah, I agree. And I have to express like some kind of like, I mean, like I, Personally, I would love to see him grow a little bit because I always get frustrated, and I and I and I, I must admit to like um, in, you know modern stories, but like I thought that there was a real opportunity to give this character more depth when his wife was murdered. 
you know, and it seemed like we were going down that path where he kind of was developing a new appreciation for his role in the world and Spider-Man's place in the world and his own kind of mistakes and how his life had kind of, you know, spiraled, whether his decision to hire, you know, the, the Scorpion or the Spider Slayers. And in, in that case, that very story, both of them teamed up to kind of ruin his life in a way. Um, you know, but then that's quickly undone. And, and every time we revisit the character, it just seems to be like a new lower level for Jameson where he just keeps bottoming out, you know, like now he lost his job at the fact channel and he's running his own blog. Like how much lower can this character go? And maybe that's the point, but like, uh, there doesn't seem to be much balance there. Uh, and, and it, it kind of renders him in, in my book as like someone I don't really need to care about so much. He's just become a cartoon while everybody else has been given so much depth and, and, and ability to grow. And, um, you know, to me, getting into your kind of like uh, analog that you've created between the Dicko and Lee version, I feel like we've been stuck with the Dicko version of this character for an awful long time. I mean, do you think that has fed into why the character hasn't showed up in any movies over the last decade? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I, I think, I mean, I think part of that is that these movies, uh, you know, I think the new movie wanted to get away from anything that had been done before, and I feel like the second series, like, half-heartedly wanted to do that, and also knew that, like, um, like they would get there eventually or something like that. Right. Well, they even had him like, what, get like an email from him or something, like in all caps or something in the second movie. Yeah. And I think everybody's just terrified of recasting that character. Right. No, I mean, understandably, but it's, it, it is kind of interesting in that we're, we're talking about Jameson and I, you know, I wouldn't argue this, that, he is an essential character, and yet we've now had two mainstream versions of Spider-Man that have barely, or in uh, two of the three cases, have not referenced him at all, kind of rendering him unessential. And, you know, if we're talking about a character that doesn't grow, that doesn't move beyond, that's kind of a caricature that, you know... Uh, plays to the cheap seats and is kind of the lowest common denominator. I mean, I can kind of see how that, why we would say, oh, who needs that character? And yet, I mean, I think any hardcore, not even hardcore, any any devoted Spider-Man fan would be like, no, Jameson is is a core part of this thing. You know, <laughs> like we, we you need Jameson as part of the story. It's just I don't. I, it it's an interesting dichotomy that's kind of reared itself here. I think it's also tough because, and I think definitely under the previous series before this one, like I could very well. I think we discussed this on our review of homecoming i could see him showing up in the next film like i think the ground has been laid for him to be this antagonist you know based on spider-man's actions in homecoming being kind of a public nuisance you know uh to a certain degree we'll see how it plays out in infinity war but like i think the previous producers of the film 
were very wary about making Spider-Man like an, a nuisance or a reviled character in, in those films, you know, whether it's the uh, construction workers teaming up to help him or the overuse of the American flag throughout <laughs> the movies. Like, I think they had a hard time if they introduced Jameson, they would have to introduce the idea that people didn't like Spider-Man. And I feel like that's something the producer who, you know, Avi Arad or whoever was running those films, like, really didn't want to showcase as part of the character. And so if you just get rid of Jameson, you get rid of that idea altogether. Um, well, hey, even in the movies where Jameson was there, they had a hard time trying to really show how Jameson kind of dinged Spider-Man and turned New York against him. You know, like all those, like in, hey, he's one of us. You're going to go to come through. You're going to get him. you got to come through all of us, right? Yeah, and there's like the woman that's singing the theme song in the streets or the woman that shouts, go Spidey, go. Right. You know, like nobody seems to dislike him, but Jameson, he's more of this comic relief than anything else and and a kind of like a, a foil for Peter in terms of like making money. But nobody's ever really addressed the full idea that Jameson is this like overriding problem for Spider-Man in regards to public support. Yeah. And thus we're back where we started. Villain or antagonist? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anything, his overall effect in the book is that like no one trusts Spider-Man, um, which is emphasized here and there, you know, perhaps none. So not so strongly as when Spider-Man first started. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, that that's his overriding effect. Definitely. Anything else? Any, any, any other last pontifications on Jameson here? Not really. I mean, uh, he would obviously take on many different roles throughout his life in the pages of Spider-Man. We didn't even get into the fact that he's Spider-Man's brother-in-law in any kind of detail. Um, and uh, that silliness. When we talk about Brand New Day, we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> Perfect. All right, yeah. I that, think this that'll is a good be place season to... eight or nine or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Fourteen. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, Mark, I think this is a good place to kind of leave it off. I guess we want to hear from you guys. What do you think? Does he qualify as a villain necessarily? Yeah, guys, you know, write in, call in, uh, tweet in, whatever. Let's let us know your thoughts on this, and we'll we'll – certainly share them either on this episode or on a Patreon episode. Perfect. So thank you for joining us for our seventh episode of our first season of the all new amazing spider talk. Dan, the next episode's out in two weeks, October 11th. Uh, I believe that's following Columbus day weekend. What is the title for that show? Yeah, that show is going to be called street fighting Spider-Man. Woo. Yeah. It's all about the rolling stones. Yeah, man. No, we're going to be talking about what it means for Spider-Man to be a street-level superhero and how that was established during the Stanley and Steve Ditko run and how the title has kind of strayed from that concept over the years. Yeah, maybe we'll actually give you guys some specific issues to read for this one. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. That'll be good. Um, also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for this week's bonus episode. Last time out, Dan and I got into, oh, the Dan, this was the most pleasant conversation ever about whether or not annuals counted, uh, intending to end this conversation forever, only to open up a fresh wound. 
so great. I, people, people heard my soul just decapitate itself uh, on on podcast audio. I'm sure that's a lovely thing. Um, this time out, we're going to be reviewing Amazing Spider-Man Volume Four, Number Thirty Two, the end of the volume before Legacy, and uh, it's a deep dive into Norman Osborn. So just remember, for three ninety nine a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-Book reviews, mailbags, and Mark's uh, sad sackness episodes. Um, and then for $10 a month, you will get exclusive commissioned artwork in the mail every six months. What's better than that? Not much. And I'll say, if you join our uh, our, our Patreon now... Mark, you and I have done about 15 bonus episodes at this point, so you just gain access to that whole library, and that's just like 15 brand new episodes for you to listen to of the show. So if you're like hankering for more Amazing Spider Talk, that's going to be the place to get it. It's a brand new day, Dan. It's like three a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got, and you're like Stephen Wacker editing these things, man, like never missing a beat. That, never missing a beat. Well, anyway, Mark, uh, if people don't want to miss a beat regarding you, where can they find you online? Well, on Twitter, you can find me at ChasingASMblog and, of course, on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and on ChasingAmazingBlog.com. And, of course, please order my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Uh, leave reviews for it wherever you get it. Uh, and, uh, I'll put this back out there again. Uh, if, if you want a signed copy, uh, just reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or by amazing, uh, amazing talk email, and I can send you a book plate in the mail that you can put on your front cover. Dan, what about you? That sounds awesome, Mark. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at, at sup spider talk or on my personal account at Dan Gavazdan. Um, where I talk about all manner of things. Um, that's not very specific, but neither is my Twitter account. Uh, you can also read all of my writing over on superiorspidertalk.com. I got a review of that new Amazing Spider-Man issue uh, up. So if you want to know what I thought about it, you can read it there or listen to our Patreon uh, feed. Uh, Mark, there's a particular lesson that um, I don't know if it's shared with Jameson. He seems to flaunt his responsibility and power quite a bit. But uh, yeah. um, I think this is something that's very near and dear to your heart. So uh, what is this lesson that, that we like to leave all of our listeners with? That lesson is, I want pictures of Spider-Man. No, no, no. It's with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. And pictures of Spider-Man.